And while the convicted shooter of the Oxford School Massacre serves a life sentence without parole, the spotlight now shifts to the courtroom where two separate trials against his parents are set to unfold. Prosecutors are arguing that the entire tragedy might have been averted had the parents refrained from purchasing the firearm. As the narrative unfolds, the question of parental responsibility takes center stage. And to shed some light on the legal intricacies and the unfolding trial, we welcome back to JR Morning attorney Todd Flood of Flood Law. Todd, good morning. Good morning, Lloyd. How are you? Well, great this morning. What went into the decision for Jennifer to go first and... Does that benefit James Crumbly, her going first in this uh, trial? Uh, I definitely think it benefits um, the husband in this case, uh, the father, uh, because he gets to see the strategies of what worked, what didn't work um, in the case. It definitely hurts him, potentially, um, if there's a a guilty verdict that comes back. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Um, I I think from a defense attorney standpoint, I would like to see the roadmap ahead of time to see what was good, what was bad, uh, see what jurors potentially thought about, what was a big impact. Um, it's unfortunate we can't, we don't have a courtroom where there could be two juries at the same time, get this all over in one fell yeah. swoop, but mm-hmm. so be it. Um, the, the case that was bound over um, and the court proceeding first with the uh, with the mother uh, was a decision made by the court and through counsel. Ethan Crumley's got some new attorneys. Uh, They're going to appeal his life without parole sentence. And they said something interesting quoted in the Detroit Free Press is saying, well, we're going to invoke his right to remain silent. After you've already confessed to these murders, after you've already pled guilty, where does that right to remain silent come from? And does that harm the prosecution or does it harm the parents' defense? Well, you have a Fifth Amendment right in the Constitution to remain silent. If he is appealing, which I think is futile, but, you know, I I would venture to say he's probably going to appeal. uh, We call it a 6500 motion, and that would be ineffective assistance to counsel as it relates to his sentencing or uh, the judge uh, erred in sentencing because that was the only thing I can see Potentially, potentially, yeah. that would be an appellate issue, and that is is that life without parole, judge uh, didn't weigh the factors properly, or it was ineffective assistance of counsel. They didn't bring forth evidence that they should have, and now that's the appeal. You always have a Fifth Amendment right even through an appeal, so that's what they're saying. I think it um, – candidly, if I – when the sentencing took place, and I remember watching it um, – there was a snippet of him. I wanted to see his elocution, and he said, my parents didn't know. Right. No one knew, right? So I think that hurts the parents because if he took the stand, um, he, you know, he would basically put it on him, and that's the, that's the parent's defense, right? The killer's over here sitting in that chair, right? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. not us. So they would be pointing the finger, obviously, at the, at, at the shooter. Um, that that has to be their their main thrust of their defense is this is not me you know it, it, you can there's only two defenses in criminal law only two yes I did it but I have an excuse yes I did it but I was insane yes I did it but I did it in self defense yes but that's one defense the second defense is you got the wrong person I didn't do it 
So their claim is going to be that defense, you got the wrong person. We didn't do this. So that's that's got to be their strategy. That's now how they thread that needle. I'm not quite sure um, because there's just from the tip of the iceberg here, and I'm sure there's, <clears throat> as I looked at the witness list, uh, you know, there's uh, uh, going to be well over 20 to 30 witnesses. This is going to be a two-week trial. It sounds to me like this is, this is an iceberg. We only saw the t- seen the tip. We haven't seen what's underneath the water here as far as evidence goes. Um, Todd, the first time that parents have been charged in a case like this, so all eyes will be on this courtroom. Uh, just for people who may not remember, what is going to be allowed and not allowed in the mother's trial? So the the judge is allowing, and this was a motion in limine ahead of time, but the judge is allowing in the, the video. It's not going to be, there isn't going to be sound. She is going to allow some testimony from witnesses Obviously, the teacher, uh, the counselor, uh, uh, and the vice principal uh, that were there um, that that saw the act take place. So this is a homicide case. You have to show the body of the wrong. You have to show the the, the deaths, right? So that's going to come in. Um, it, that's part and parcel of one of the major elements of the case. What's not going to come in is the emotion, the pain, the suffering that witnesses had to go through. Uh, that would be inflammatory. Um, we have a, two rules in evidence, you know, 401 and 403. 401 is relevant. What's relevant evidence? Does it move a material fact one way or the other in the case um, to be more probable or not? So relevant evidence comes in. It's weighed sometimes against 403. 403 stands for uh, it is, is it too prejudicial? Is it going to, and I always use the test, is it going to take the jury away from using relevant evidence to decide their case? Is it too inflammatory? So going through the pain and the anguish of, of what a witness went through may not be relevant necessarily. It may inflame the, the jury to take their minds off of what it is the facts are in this case and did the prosecution meet their burden of showing beyond a reasonable doubt each and every element of the crime. Uh, Todd, you know, they have to prove involuntary manslaughter on the on these parents. And the world sure. is going to be looking at this case. What does this mean for future cases of uh, school shootings where mental illness comes into play and it determines, you know, what did the parents know? What did they know? What they didn't know? What What does it mean for future cases down the road? Sure, sure. So um, I, I, I will say this, uh, and I don't believe Karen McDonald ever wanted to charge this case to make policy. She just looked at facts and looked at the elements and looked at whether or not the facts and elements uh, in this case supported uh, uh, a prosecution. Um, and the second thing is this. We, we normally don't charge parents ever with, you know, the crimes of their children, except when and it's happened before we've had individual cases we just we just saw one around the uh, in virginia where a six-year-old boy shot a teacher and the mom left the gun out um the teacher survived they charged the mom she's serving two years for uh, neglect of a minor um so we see parents being held accountable for actions of children when they have a duty and they breach that duty they, they 
you know, here's the simplest example. You know your child can't drive a car, but you give him the keys anyway, and mm -hmm. he goes out and kills somebody. Mm -hmm. You're going to get charged with a crime, right? So here, <clears throat> it's the first time in a mass shooting that we've ever had this situation. And, and I hope people realize this case really all starts from home. You know, it, it, it's not a law issue as mm -hmm. much as it is a right issue. And, and you know, everything starts really basically from the home. And um, I think it has a ripple effect. Uh, I hope, you know, to the extent that people are more vigilant or care more. Um, you know, I, I reverse this question. What is the duty of parents for other innocent children coming to school when they know their child is spiraling out of control and they buy him a gun. Right. Um, so it, it, it's, it's uh, to me, I hope there is that ripple effect to, to maybe be more vigilant in these types of situations, obviously. So how important is it going to be this notion of failure to act? They were confronted with artwork that was alarming, and yet they never said to the school, never said to the counselor, never apparently entered their head, you know, we gave this kid a gun. Maybe we ought to find out where it is. How much is that going to weigh in ultimately on whether or not this conviction comes about or not? Yeah. So, guys, I, I've been playing in my mind. What would I do if I was the prosecution? What would I do if, the, if I was the defense? You know, think about it. They buy this gun back some, somewhere around, I don't know, November 26th or so, uh, when, whenever it is that they get this gun in that, in that time frame. And they take them to target practice and the like. They 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 know that their child is in you know obviously mental spiral. Think about this day. They take him. He goes. They get called into the school. Yeah. They see a photograph. They see a photograph of the gun. The gun is identical in the drawing. They see a picture of a person shot. They see uh, next to that picture blood everywhere. Then they you know. They, 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 they just go now back they to work. have to yeah. with the gun. Why don't they say, hey, Ethan, step on the hallway for a second. You got your backpack? Uh -huh. Where's the gun? Take it a second step further. Give me a monotum. That's all, all you got to do is show that uh, they cared a little bit, right? Yeah. What but any reasonable did. human being would right, do. Right, right. Right, right, exactly. So the, to me, when that fatal day comes and they want to leave the meeting, mom's on the phone. Is this over? Am I, I got to get back to work. Right. You know, so they don't care at all knowing. And then what do they do afterwards when the shooting goes? This is public knowledge. All of all of the parents are rushing to the school to get to their kids. One parent goes home to see if there's a gun. Where's the gun? Another parent text, don't do it, right? So I got to believe, and, you know, this, this, there's, we just know a snippet of the evidence, but these, these powerful pieces for jurors, all jurors want is something to hang their hat on right. to find their guilt beyond reasonable doubt or find reasonable doubt itself. Give me something that shows me, you know, that, that that they're not guilty or that they can hang their hat on to say, yes, you've proven each and every element beyond reasonable doubt. 
Jury selection begins this morning in Oakland County Circuit Court for Jennifer Crumbly and the question of parental responsibility, Todd, it will take center stage. Thank you, Todd Flood from Flood Law for being here with us on JR Morning. Thank you so much, everybody. Go Lions. Go Lions. JR Indeed. Morning continues after this. You know, the cold weather is here to stay in Michigan and lower temperatures can lead to higher bills, but staying comfortable, it doesn't have to drive up your energy costs. Saving energy can be so simple. It's simple as just keeping the furniture, carpeting, and drapes away from heat registers and return air ducts and cleaning or replacing your furnace filters often so that the system operates efficiently. If you visit consumersenergy.com slash cold weather, that's consumersenergy.com slash cold weather, you'll get some really great money-saving tips to save on energy and money this season. Consumers Energy.